Welcome to the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast, part of the Thrive Podcast family. This is a place to focus on helping pastors and leaders discover or rediscover their purpose, passion, and vision. Ray Johnston is the founding pastor of the Bayside Family of Churches. He's the architect of all the Global Thrive Conferences. He is also an award-winning author and a widely sought-after speaker, mentor, and leadership authority. Each episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast is a conversation between Ray and his hand-picked, world-renowned guests as they share timeless principles, timely insight, and new ideas on how to grow as a leader wherever you're planted. Today, Bayside's other two senior pastors, Andrew McCourt and Kurt Harlow, stand in for Ray as they Zoom visit with Chad Veach, founding pastor of Zoe Church in L.A. So let's get right into this episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, everyone. Jumping on the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast. And man, we've got a great webinar for you. Andrew McCourt's going to have a credible conversation with Pastor Chad Beach, one of my favorite pastors and a longtime friend. In fact, Chad, I'm just going to ask you right now, how's your dad, Dave, doing? He's doing great. I was just with him last week. Uh, he's still in Tacoma, Washington, uh, overseeing a number of states for his denomination, the Foursquare. And uh, he's doing his golf game and his life have never been better. Man, I'm telling you what, he used to take me golfing on Mondays. And I was at one church in our little town in Oak Harbor and he was at the other one. And he would give me all the jailhouse talk advice a young youth pastor needs to know, man. He was like Uh, a mentor's mentor, man. So give him a big hug for me. Tell him I love him. In fact, Andrew, can I start off with the first question before I hand it over to you? I think you've got a deeply theological question for Chad. I I think it's very, very important. We start, you know, really systematic theology. Go. So so Chad, uh, I could not take my eyes off your peanut butter and jelly time posts. Uh, I mean, I'm telling you, man, I was, I was making some PB&Js. I was experimenting. Tell me how you came up with that idea. What, what, what is the magic behind the PB&J time? Well, I don't know if everyone remembers, but when we first went into lockdown, remember you couldn't get anything at the grocery store. It was serious. I mean, I remember guys were pulling out money out of the bank. You know, we, everyone was a little freaked out. So we stayed at home, like home. And Julia, my wife, had stocked our cupboards. Well, she got so much bread, and I hadn't had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in so long. First day of COVID, I just made one. I got, wow, that was great. Next day, I made, I started eating them every day. Well, I posted a photo, and just like anything on the internet, all the comments and opinions came out. And they started criticizing, you're doing it wrong. You need to have this. You need to do this. You need. So I thought, whoa. So one of the guys said, you're doing it wrong. You need to put the peanut butter and the jelly in the same bowl, stir it together, then spread it on the bread. So the next day I tried it, I videotaped it, and I uh, fell in love with it that way, and more comments came. So we just started having fun with it. Wow. That's amazing. Chad, I'm an Irishman, and I'm married to a French woman. If my French mother-in-law heard about peanut butter and jelly, she said, that's the devil. That is the devil. Jesus, come quickly. I mean, that's just... Come quickly. <laughs> anyway, Chad, I've never met you before. You're a good friend of Kurt. I mean, uh, literally all of the world except three people have 
I've heard about you, okay? Uh, why don't you just take a minute and just tell those three people that live in Greenland or wherever they are, why don't you tell them who you are, where you come from, uh, about your happy marriage and your perfect life? Why don't you tell them about that? <laughs> My happy marriage, my perfect life. <laughs> I don't think that's describing my, no. Um, so yeah, we live in Los Angeles. Uh, this Sunday, my wife and I and our team are celebrating five years of our church. We launched our church five years ago. Um, we have four kids, ages two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate? Mom. And um, we just are having fun. Yeah, we're down here in L.A., We've seen over 8,000 people get saved in the five years of our wow. church. Um, yeah, just enjoying the season. I know it's kind of hard with COVID, and I love what uh, Pastor Kurt was saying and all the stuff you guys are doing because we, we need to be that, we need to have that unstoppable mindset. And so I don't think joy's canceled, hope is not canceled, the gospel's not canceled. There's so much within our control. We can control our spirit. We can control our attitude. I love the acts of compassion, unleashing compassion. And uh, we're, we're trying to be like Bayside. By the way, your church and ministry has impacted my life for over two decades. Wow. So I just want to thank you guys for who you are, who you are in our state, and who you are in our world. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. So, Chad, you got a brand new book. It's called Help I Work With People. Well, you know, the book is kind of pivoting us from, you know, help I work with people. So I think, you know, life starts with attitude and it's really pivoting people from people are my problem to people are my passion. Good. You know, it, it, Jesus said it this way, you can't love God and hate people. Anybody that loves God and hates his brother has never seen God mm. because the first thing that God does when we vertically get this relationship right and we receive his supernatural love, we receive a supernatural love for others. So I'm excited for people to read the book and, you know, we need people skills. Paul, the apostle, he says, I become all things to all people. And the reason why I do this is not for car sales or my company. It's to win people to Jesus. Mm. So we need people skills if we're going to be great evangelists. The reality is you can't, you can't work with people that don't like you. Mm. So you kind of got to be liked, like people yeah. need to like you. And then we can win them not to ourselves, but to Jesus. We got to know the end game. Why do we use people skills? You know, like manners, thank you cards, eye contact, asking more questions than giving more answers. Why do we not use people to build our confidence, but we use our confidence to build people? Why? Not so that we can be just winsome, for winsome's sake, we're evangelists. We live in a dark world. Jesus had such great people skills mm. that they marveled not just at his authority, but at the grace in which he spoke with. How is he having lunch with notorious, famous sinners? You gotta have people skills. So I'm very inspired uh, about the content. I just did the audio book a couple weeks ago and I was. I was being challenged as I was rereading what we developed. And I really am excited about people picking up this book. I believe it's a game changer book. It's the type of book that people are going to read and go, my life was impacted by that message. That is fabulous. Even the areas you highlighted. Um, 
obviously, I mean, just first time meeting with you, you're infectious, you walk into a room or walk into a Zoom, you just light the thing up. Who is the person that you would go, or the people in your past, in your history, you want, I want to be like them. You know, they handle people. Who were they and what did they do that you thought, I need to learn that skill? Well, a guy that I studied, you know, when I was in Bible college, every Tuesday I would go watch his last message. And I was so moved by his excellence and communication was a guy named Wayne Cadero wow. in Honolulu, Hawaii. And, you know, I think God brings different people in different seasons of your life to be the role model or standard in which you're aspiring to become. And then guys like John Maxwell, you know, I remember, never forget the first time I read the 21 irrefutable laws yeah. of leadership. And so many different heroes of the faith and leadership that have come into my life. One of my favorite quotes is that a mentor always walks through the door when a student is ready to learn. So a lot of times mm -hmm. we're looking for mentors, but they can't come to us until we position ourselves in a posture of learning. Brilliant. Uh, so this whole area of likability, this is not just a thin thing. This is, a th this is deep, this stuff. Uh, how important is it for a leader to have that likability and not become a people pleaser? Maybe even talk about that. And how do we develop our likability so we can connect better with people? That's a great question, first of all. And I think likability, number one, we all have favor from God. So there's this favor. The prayer of Jabez, oh, that you'd bless me enlarge my border, mm. you know, that you'd be with me, keep me away from evil. So there, there, there needs to be a sense of awe that we understand we've got grace and favor on our life. But then there's practical things that we do. Remember, the king looked down at, at, at Daniel, and the king saw he's got an excellent spirit. Mm. So there's ways that we move and operate that people, that sends a signal Leadership is that thing that everything about us says everything about us. And so we've got to send the signal that cooked into our character is humility, authenticity. Sure, we want excellence. We want to have great theology. But we got to cook in the stuff that just people are very quick to go. I don't know if I trust that guy. What is it about somebody that gets up and you go, I don't know what it is about him. Mm -hmm. I, I, I trust them. I tr they seem sincere. They seem like the real deal. I don't, I, and so you, I think you've got to make daily disciplines and decisions. Paul says, I, I got to be honest. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live. It's Christ that lives through me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So I think you've got to make decisions where you die to yourself, you make daily decisions to become the most authentic, genuine version of yourself, and I think your likability goes through the roof. Brilliant. I, you know, I meet a lot of leaders, and if really you dig down and some, you don't have to go too far. I think, Chad, they don't like themselves. You know, they're trying to be liked by all. They just, they've never come to that point. Talk to us about that for a minute. How can a leader just become happy in their own skin? Oh my gosh, You're, you nailed it. You know, the first section of this book is all about, it's, it all starts with me. Oh, because wow. I cannot love others if I don't love myself. I cannot be respectful or honoring of others if I don't respect myself. Mm -hmm. 
Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Why are we the Christians are the meanest people in the world? Why are we so mean? Because we can't love our neighbor if we don't love ourselves. And so the work of a believer is to receive. So that's why it starts with me receiving his grace, his forgiveness, his unconditional love, his new mercy. I can't give away wisdom if I don't receive wisdom. How can I give encouragement if I'm not encouraged? So I think you already hit the nail on the head that most leaders, most people are discouraged, broken, insecure, and you can't hide it. You can't hide it from people because number one, people are intuitive. And once you become a believer, God doubles down on your intuition and gives you discernment. Mm -hmm. So you can't hide it. Talk to me about your relationships and your friendships. You know, uh, we've had Rich Wilkerson here. We love that guy. Levi comes over, a whole whole bunch of them. We see you sometimes hanging out with these guys. You look like the Beatles. You look so incredible (laughs) together. You know, what what a gang. I mean, is, is that just all a front or do these relationships really run deep? Yeah, no, none of it's real. It is strictly for social media. Uh, I think Levi is a terrible author. He, he, he's got ghostwriters that write all that stuff. Rich, I mean, what is this? TBN? Come on, get out of here. No, you know, yeah, you just can't thank God enough for your friendships, right? Yeah. You know, I heard someone say one time when God really wants to bless you, he sends you a friend. Mm-hmm. You know, like when he, he doesn't send you a car or a house, he sends you a relationship. And when he really wants to bless you, he sends you a Jonathan and David, mm. a covenant friendship. And, you know, when you find that like-minded, like-spirited, like-mission, you just, you go, I'm with you. And I have found for my life, I mean, Kurt knows I'm from a small island in the state of Washington. But it's true. Your alignment determines your assignment. Who you align your life with determines the trajectory of your life. And so that's why it's so important that you really understand those kingdom connections, those kingdom relationships where you just go like, I'm with you. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. I'm, whatever you're doing, I'm doing, I'm, I'm in. It, it, life is that thing. Jim Collins, he said it in his book, Good to Great. It doesn't matter where the bus is going. All that matters is who's on the bus. Mm. Life is about uh, getting with the right people because it's true. Bad company corrupts good character. Yeah, it's true. Anybody that you see go sideways in life or leadership is always attached to somebody. So we have to be aware the same thing that God's using to bless me is the same thing that the enemy's using to hurt me, and that's people. Mm. So how, how does that look like in this season where we've gone more into isolation and all of that? How have you kept up those friendships to keep you encouraged? What, what does that look like in this season and how can we go after them? Well, I think any relationship that is healthy is a result of investment. So, you know, we can't see each other physically, but we can still FaceTime, still text, still mm-hmm. get on Zoom. So I think, you know, what is the old saying? Necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's just forced us to find creative ways to be connected, but we can still be connected. Yeah. Right. You know, that's the whole thing about that proverb. A man that isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wisdom. So if you're not connected to those right relationships, 
it's usually because of you, not them. Mm-hmm. He who wants friends must he himself first be friendly. So you can't reap what you don't sow. So if I want to be connected, I've got to send texts. If I want to be connected, I've got to, you know, FaceTime and see who's available. So it, I, I, I'd love to play the blame game. The blame game is so fun. The only problem, thing about the, the blame game is that it just doesn't get me anywhere. Yeah. And the common denominator in all of my problems and relationships is me. So I've got to be a good friend. I've got to reach out. I've got to send the text. So I'm encouraged that I have so much control in that. That's fantastic. So talk to me about the church. I, I want to speak, you know, I want you to speak to young church planters out there, older church planters, guys and girls, maybe got the dream in their heart. When did your church start in your heart? Before, I don't want to talk about your opening day. I want you to talk about when did it start in your heart? Why LA? What did God say? Or did you just get the wrong taxi? Yeah. You know, um, I was a youth pastor in LA for six years in East LA, uh, inner city area. 91% of our city was Hispanic. So my first six years of ministry were here in LA and I, I was in love with it. I loved the, the demograph, the church. And when God called me back to the Seattle area, I went kicking and screaming. I did not want to go back. But even then in 2004, I knew, and my mom called me while I was driving back to Seattle. She says, um, I was praying today and, and I felt like God said, even though you're moving to Seattle right now, one day you'll move back to LA start a church and live there the rest of your life. And in 2004, I remember telling my mom, you know what, I, I really, I feel the same thing. And then years later, about nine years into being in the Seattle area, I was at a conference and in the worship service, I felt this church come on me. And it was when the first iPad had come out. So I sat down, you know, it was like a VCR, the first iPad. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm hunting and pecking and I'm writing the dream of this church. So the next day we go to breakfast with some friends and um, Carl Lentz and Judah Smith. It was a conference at Judah's church. And Carl goes, I want you to come to Brooklyn and do Hillsong uh, Brooklyn. And I go, I can't go to Brooklyn. Uh, God just told me last night, I got to go to LA and start this church. Well, two months later, my daughter would get diagnosed with a rare brain condition called lysencephaly. She's three months old and the doctor tells us she'll never walk, she'll never talk, she'll never crawl, she'll never roll over, she'll never develop to these many months, she'll never live to this many years. And so we really had to put our dream on hold. What, what, what's amazing about you know, your dream is, you, it's like Joseph, you, you have a dream, but you don't know when it's gonna come to fruition. Mm. So we left the church we were at and because of everything that happened with our daughter, we went and sat for two years at Judah's church really being paid to just be a good friend. We, we didn't have responsibility. And um, it was about two years into being there that I was at a church service in El Paso, Texas, and I felt God release us to come down to LA uh, to start the church. So we went back and met with our parents and we met with our pastors and they were like, yep, it's right time, let's, let's go. Your marriage is, is strong. You've gone weathered the last two years with your sick daughter and and you're strong enough to go out and do it. So we moved down to LA on I-5 with nothing. No house. We found the house on Craigslist. We were about in Sacramento when we found it on Craigslist. (laughs) No staff, no budget, no team, just a dream. And so don't despise small beginnings. Mm. Everything I've ever been a part of started really, really small. 
and you just, you, you serve God faithfully and be a good steward of where you're at and watch God do the rest. Can we just take, uh, this is profound what you're saying. Can we camp on this just for one more minute and just, I think let's keep talking to those potential church planters. How important were those early days of calling? Because you know what, Chad, I just get concerned today. I meet a lot of guys and girls. They're looking for a job, but they're not looking for a calling. You know, a calling to a place where they're just going to put their life into, dig a trench and do or die. How important were those early days and that sense of calling in keeping you in L.A. for the last five years? Well, you know, when we, again, when we met with our pastors and our parents, because I think that, you know, if God's in it, everybody's got peace about it. Everyone around you goes, yeah, this is God. I always get concerned about the guy. It's like, I'm going to plant a church in Albuquerque. And everybody's like, what? <laughs> you say, Alba, what? So we really felt peace about it. But I felt like God gave me a scripture in Acts 20. And now I go bound by the spirit to Jerusalem, arrested by God. And Paul says, I don't know what's going to happen to me there, but I know I'm arrested to go there. So we, we don't start churches going, I know it's good, this is going to happen. We're going to, you know, this is going to, you know, it's going to be and just, you know, it's like, what, huh, what? No, I go bound by the spirit, arrested by God to a city, a demograph. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I know I'm going because I'm on marching orders from heaven. So good. This is great stuff. Absolutely great stuff. Tell us about your first day, first month, and your first year. What was it like? Well, let me just first say this. I, 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 I've been writing a weekly leadership email, and um, I'm really loving it. So I wrote this morning about don't, don't despise small beginnings. You know, it's okay to start small, but you just got to start now. Like just, let's, mm-hmm. just, just let's get up and go. Good. Everything I've been a part of started small. When we started in our living room, we started with 12 people and we started meeting every Tuesday night to build the core team. It, we got to about 89 people. Two months in, we got to 89 people. It worked until one day I got up to teach in my house and I looked around the room and I go, that guy should never be in my home. I don't know who that guy is, but he's scary. <laughs> so the next week we rented a church and we started building every Tuesday night until our church turns five this Sunday, and we started on Sunset Boulevard in a club called One Oak. And I knew the owner of this club through a friend, and the owner of the club said, we'd love to have you. We don't use it Sunday nights. Go ahead. And so we announce it, and we have this big night. Well, there's lines of people down Sunset Boulevard. And the security, he sent some of his security there that night. His security told us we've never had more people at the club than tonight. So the next morning, his name's Richie. He emailed me. He said, you can never have church in my club ever again. Wow. You're too big of a liability. So I wrote him back. I said, liability? Your crowd's a liability. My crowd is sober. (laughs) He kicked us out of the club. And the next week, we found a place called Elroy Theater where we would be for the next three years. But, you know, our first launch was a remarkable God-breathed night. was unbelievable. And then, you know, the next week we just started building it and working the ground. I remember about two months into the church, my wife, we were leaving one Sunday morning and she looked at me and she said, hey, that was great. But when does it grow? (laughs) I said, I I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of hard, huh? 
<laughs> but you know, you just, you just one day at a time, you know, greatness doesn't happen in a day. It happens daily. Just mm. faithfulness to serve and add value every single day. Super. Uh, did you ever feel like giving up? Talk, talk about that. You know, no, I, I, to be honest, you know, it, it's just not my personality. It's not my makeup. You know, I've talked to more pastors during COVID that feel like quitting criticism, you know, especially in June when we faced the racial divide of our nation, even more than COVID. And all of us got, you know, I got killed. I got killed in that time from the African-Americans in our church and the white people in our church. I got killed. But I don't, I, it's not in my DNA to feel like quitting. I feel discouraged, but I don't mm. feel like quitting because it's just like, I just know, Kurt knows. I, my, my dad was always the guy that had pastors in our home that just had a moral failure, just resigned their church, just had a dumb oopsies. And he was, my dad was always rehabilitating guys. And I just watched it time and time again. I just thought, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to quit. It's just not worth it. I just yeah. never seen fruit from quitting. Yeah. How did you handle that criticism? You know, when you're getting beat up from both sides, you know, what, what did you do? How did you process at that time? How did you manage all the inner dialogue and the outer criticism? Well, I just told people how wrong they are. <laughs> I just, I just said, Hey, are you guys kidding? Are you, are you, are you out of your mind? Do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> so when everything happened and we started really getting killed, the African-Americans in our church were saying it's not enough. What you're doing is not enough. Then the white people in our church started saying this is way too much. And when all of this was going on, I got COVID. And the stress of the racial tension when I had COVID turned into shingles. I don't know if anyone on this call has ever had shingles, but I want to say COVID was nothing. <laughs> shingles is real. Yeah. And it was just really, the way that I would handle stress is, my makeup is kind of like, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's fine, I'm good, nothing's wrong. And my body's like, mm, shingles. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> shingles is due to stress. Yeah. And it was a very difficult time. It, it, it was hard to be filled with compassion and empathy and the result of that be hated. And um, I think it, it, it only goes to show how far we have to go as a country and how far the church has to go at large. And um, we're still trying to learn. We're still trying to fill in, you know, the, the healing, pour oil on, on the wounds there. So yeah. Uh, it was not an easy time, as I'm sure everyone on this call faced that and felt that yeah. with so many guys wanting to quit. And, um, but I just, I, again, I don't, th I don't see the fruit in quitting. Yeah. Hey, part of Christian leadership so often is uh, we do life with our spouse. We do ministry with our spouse. How was that time for your wife, her watching on and watching you get slapped? Yeah, that's another level, right? That, 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 that's what they don't teach you at Bible college. Hmm. is, you know, you're stewarding your life and yet your responsibility for your spouse, the two are one. So they, they often feel when you're criticized, they're criticized. When you're hated, they're hated. And in a good way, you know, that partnership is so intimate that they feel what you feel. And thank God is so that we don't go, you know, alone. What, what did God say to Adam? Is it not good that he's alone? You know, in life, you got to have somebody go through the battles with you.
So I'm very grateful for my wife. It was very hard for her to face that. And uh, again, she has her own genetic makeup, her own slant, her own unique experience and gift mix. So yeah, it's something that I think everyone on this call had a journey through. It's not easy. Those are not, I don't, any, I don't know anybody that's like, hey, you know what? Those were the easiest three weeks of my life. No one. We all felt, the nation felt such tension. And I pray, one of the prayers out of that time was, is your prayer that this goes away? Or is your prayer that we fix this? Yeah. Because if your prayer is that this just goes away, what you're saying is, hey, let's go around the lap, around the mountain for 40 years. Mm. Or do you want to go into the promised land? Because if you want to go to the promised land, we got to fix this. Yeah. Um, before we go, I want to talk more about the church. I'm going to ask Kurt to jump in again because we had a special evening on this and we released a statement, which I think might be very helpful for some of the churches watching. We went through the same thing, but we got zero criticism. I mean, we... No. Oh my word. I mean, it's unbelievable. I felt like an Irishman lost in America. I just thought, what is going on? But as you said, levels of empathy rose and just, I, I've never felt our senior team tighter, our staff tighter. Kurt, you just want to quickly just talk about it? Sure. I mean, we just made a commitment early on to take a long view of this, which means coming up with a comprehensive statement and not just a statement, but a plan. Yeah. So, you know, it's one thing to put, we are supporting law enforcement families or to say, we're praying for the nation right now. It's another thing to say, we're actually gonna take concerted steps. I love what you said, Chad. Um, it is so futile to just want to get the emotional relief from this stress as opposed to actually going, let's face the problem and figure out how we can come together. If the church can't do it, what chance does the world have to do it? So uh, we did this call. It's one of probably like five of these we've done in the last four months where we said, hey, here's not just our statement. Here's our plan that we're going to actually do. And it starts with, uh, it's just the acronym HELP. Uh, it starts with humbly listening. We're going to go through a time of humbly listening. So we'll put all of that on there so you could see uh, what we're doing there. The good thing about this time is when we first made our first social media sermons, we did one big statement before a sermon. It seemed to create more chaos and confusion than it solved. We actually got up one weekend and I said, listen, I just have to tell you, this is my first pandemic. Um, the next pandemic, your pastor is going to be a lot sharper, <laughs> but we're all on this learning curve. This one, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Andrew, it seemed oh. to create so much more clarity. And we had a lot of people going, thank you for being clear. And thank you for telling me some things I can do. Uh, I just want to figure out what to do. So the, my encouragement to leaders is keep at it. If it didn't land well the first time. If it created some conflict in email, it doesn't mean to abandon ship. Uh, and I think even now, this week, Ray is re-releasing some things we've said in the past. Yeah. We're going, uh, Andrew, you and Ray did an interview that further clarifies some uh, things. We're in a comma situation, not a period 
situation. Yeah. So what, what am I missing in there, Andrew? I know that's all of it. You know, we were always warned about statements because uh, they sound like, oh, final and we've cracked this. But we just thought we needed to put out something that's more a summation of our conversation so far and our pastors rally around it. So if uh, I'm sure you all need that. And if you've got great resources, send them to us as well, because Andrew, we Someone's we just asking in the, in the chat what help is. It's really quickly, humbly listen. Uh, secondly, it's equip or educate yourself. The third is love your neighbor. That might be a familiar quote to you. It can be found in the New Testament. And then the last one is persist in acting. So it's, yep. again, it's not a short-term plan, but it is something that we're going to go after as a regular part of mature Christian reconciliation and discipleship. Okay. Great. Thank you, Kurt. So, hey, talk to us more about your church, uh, Chad. Um, the, the old adage is that churches grow old naturally. They grow young intentionally. Uh, you got so many 20-somethings in your church. I mean, what is that? Are, I mean, are you buying them iPads? I mean, well, I think, you know, for me, the way that I would, first of all, we're not going for that, of course. You know, like my dream when you go to Dodger Stadium or Staples Center here in L.A., you walk in, you would never be able to tell, wow, there's a lot of young people here or old people or certain ethnicity. It's just a, it's L.A. That's the dream that I have as far as a church. But I was a youth pastor for 15 years, which I think stunted my maturity, if I can say that. And so I dress a certain way, talk a certain way. And I think it's the law of attraction. But I will say, I recognize that's not going to last forever. You know, we, we, we all know the churches that just kind of grow old together. Mm. I go to some churches, you know, now, and it's like, my dad has this term about churches that they had their heyday. Mm-hmm. Or he'll use the expression, they had their run. You know, that window where the church yeah. is like crushing. And why does it not keep crushing? We marvel at Hillsong, 35 years, and they only get younger. How? Well, like you said, it's intentional. It's deliberate. It's investing in the next generation. It's it's platforming them, empowering them, releasing them, making it a value. You know, Hillsong culture is the culture that says the young will always win. And so I recognize that it's happening for us now. But if I don't make it a value now for young people, we're just going to be that church that grows old together. And I don't want to be that. What about these, the, these 20-somethings in the life of your church? Are they serving? Are they just attending? Are they connecting? What does discipleship look like with them, with a, a millennial Gen Z generation? How are you going about doing that? Well, I think, you know, to answer the question, yes, they're serving, you know, they're, they're in. Was it, it, it's a biblical principle, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. What does it say? Remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days draw near and you find no pleasure in them. So there's mm. something about a window in a young person's life that says before bills and kids, I got four kids in a minivan, people. <laughs> I didn't understand the verse until I'm here. The difficult days are upon me. But there's something about a young person that has the space to be in Bible study, serve three services a day, you know, edit a film or you fill in the blank. 
They have to worry about the things that a lot of us on this call have to worry about. So I think you got to take advantage with young people, young leaders, young generation, and believe in them. That's why revivals always start with young people. When I was out in L.A. walking with the protesters, praying over our city, I was the oldest person by far. There was no other 40-year-old out there. Why? Because it's young people that believe they can change the world. Why do they believe they can change the world? They're not changing diapers and paying mortgage payments. You just kind of settle into your life the older you get. So I think we've got to do everything we can to reach young people, empower young people, disciple young people, and release them into their God-given potential. Fabulous. Hey, I'm going to ask you this question. I just want to talk about your family when we, as we try and draw this to a close. You just seem so naturally to bring hope and encouragement. It's, it's like you're a hope dealer. It's like you've got this brown bags in the trunk of your car and you're just dealing hope, you know, in a parking lot. It's so good. Where, where do you get hope from? Where do you keep encouragement from? How do you keep those levels high? I think the, the work of the believer is to receive. So one of my favorite things in the Old Testament that God says to kings, he says, if you're going to be a king, any of my kings, every day we're going to have you read and rewrite the law. He says this daily habit will prevent you from lifting your heart above your brethren. Mm. Translation, you're going to read the Bible every day and that's going to keep you grounded and humble. And I think it's going to give you a lot of hope. Hmm. You know, like today in my Bible reading plan, we're in, the, we're in the book of Jeremiah right now. And we're in the book of John. Again, when I was, when I, so, so Wayne Cordero is such a hero to me. When I was uh, 18 years old, I went to Bible college in LA and his son and I became best friends. And Pastor Wayne sat uh, Aaron and I down at a Starbucks and taught us how to do what's called soap. Do you guys do soap? Scripture, observation, application, prayer. Yeah. I've been doing my daily soap since 1999. Jesus said it this way. A good man will store up good things in the treasure of his heart. And an evil man will store up evil things in the treasure of his heart. Then he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm. So if we keep storing hope, faith, love, compassion, gospel, Jesus, wisdom, Proverbs, prophets, Old Testament, New, we're going to have something to offer. So when we sit down with that person that's addicted, sit down with that person that's in depression, sit down with that couple that's going through divorce, we don't need to share what Oprah or Dr. Phil has to say. They need a word in season that will bring mm. healing. We need truth. We need the promises of God. So I think to answer your question, how do I have hope? I've got to fill my life with it. Mm. Then it's, it's really natural, I feel like. So the greatest discipline, I think, as a leader that we could make in our life is the discipline to read the Bible every day. And he says it, doesn't he? It, it, the Bible is the only book that talks about itself. And you're like, the way, the way that you talk about yourself, I love. <laughs> it says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it both day and night that you may be careful to observe all that I've written in it, and then you will have good success. What about what he says, Paul says to Timothy? 
All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be fully equipped to do every good work. What about Hebrews chapter 4? When it says the word of the Lord is alive and active, sharper than any yeah. two-edged sword, piercing the bone and the marrow, separating the soul and the spirit, exposing us for who we really are. What does it say in Psalm 119? Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What about Psalm 119 verse 9? How can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. There's so much that the Bible says about the Bible. We've got to go back to the fundamental principle of filling our life with his word. There's a radical concept that uh, people in ministry should have a devotional life. It's like you kind of get paid to do one thing. (laughs) Paul goes, you guys go work. We're going to give ourselves to prayer and to the study of God's work. My question, pastors, are you giving yourself to what Paul gave his life to? Do you have a prayer life? Listen. Don't ever expect your church to outpray you. Don't expect your church to outgive you. Don't expect your church to have more faith than you have. If you want your church to read the Bible, I'm sorry, but it all starts with you. Yeah, but no, the, it's good. But the it's problem good. in ministry, and the thing I hate about it, is that it's a reflection of me. I wish my church was a reflection of what I want me to be. <laughs> yeah. But it's a reflection of me. Oh, wow. It's great. I think the stuff you're saying, Kurt and I were preaching at the weekend and um, from the book of Hebrews chapter 10 about not throwing away your faith or your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. And I heard Pastor Chris Hodges say something on one of our Zooms that we had. He said, he doesn't believe that God created COVID, uh, but he sure can use it. God never wastes a plague. It's almost like God, and it's empathizing with people that have been hurt and going through difficult times, but it's almost like God saying, I'm going to help wean you off this world. And I'm going to get you to prove that these promises, everything that you just quoted, they're actually true. You're going to get the seal. You're going to get the stamp on this moment. We're going to come through COVID. Yeah, maybe with less stuff, but with more faith, definitely. Beautiful. Just talk to me about your daughter as we bring this to a close. Um, I believe her name is Georgia. Yeah. Talk to me about that journey. I think we're trying to get together to, uh, to do a thing, finding hope when you're hurting, finding good when you're hurting. Yeah. Uh, what, what has that journey been like for you? You know, speak to us uh, as a man, as a father, as a husband, you know, as a pastor. How, how does that go? Well, you, you just never know when life will touch you. You know, because... The other day I was with somebody in our church. He's gone through uh, 20 months of a lawsuit and um, really sad situation. And he's, uh, I think, 52. He said, I have not faced one thing in my life until this. Wow. Like, just untouched. And I thought, isn't that funny? It could happen when you're 52. It could happen when you're eight. You just never know. For me, when, when everything happened with my daughter, I, was, I had been untouched. Lived a great life. A wonderful upbringing, wonderful sibling. They just happy. You know, the thing about facing tragedy, and we still, you know, my daughter is with us. We, you know, she, imagine raising a child that's never said a word to you. You know, she, she can't talk. She can't do anything. And so your problem or the problems that she faces, we face every day. 
when this all happened, I was very grateful. And the reason why is I had never noticed the pain that people were in till I had pain. I did mm. not even understand what compassion was until I went through what she went through. And when my heart broke, I kind of lifted my eyes and went, oh my, wait, everybody's hurting. Everybody's got some. I just, again, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. It changes you. We never turn to God on the mountaintop of success. Mm. We always turn to God in the valley of despair. Wow. And so I had never cried that much, felt that much. I, I just have never, to this day, it marks you. Tragedy marks you. You remember where you were. You remember where you were driving. You remember every, and guess what? Let me just say this to everybody on this call. You remember who was there with you. Mm. I will never forget the people that sent flowers and prayers and called. I will never forget the people that stood with us. And that's why I always think I collect these kind of people. When people go through the hardest times, everybody else is walking out. The church should be walking in. God does his best work when we are in our worst place. Wow. And so find people that are in tragedy. Find people in the hospital. Find people that are in their lowest. I collect these kind of people. Since we have moved to L.A., some of the biggest headlines that the world sees in the entertainment industry of disaster, divorce, this, that, and the other. We have been there on the front lines with them in the quiet shadows because I collect these kind of people. And if you get a reputation that you will be there with broken people, because everybody wants to be there with you when you're doing great and you got success. And what does it say in the Bible? A man with money has friends. Everybody wants to be your friend when you're successful. Nobody wants to be your friend when you're getting sued, you're going through hardship, you got a divorce, you got caught doing something dumb. Nobody's there for you. The church needs to be there for broken, messed up people. So mm -hmm. I am thankful that I went through that myself because now I have some glimpse of what it feels like for other people when they go through hard times. So my wife is amazing. But again, we had to quit our job at our ministry job. I was leading the youth and the interns and the conference and had a big role at that church. And I just wasn't in a place that where the ministry demand I couldn't meet. I, I needed the demand of my home. And, and, and I don't encourage anybody. If your home has a demand, ministry will always be there. But you choose your home first. Ministry is first out of the overflow of your life and then out of the overflow of your home. I'm, you know, rambling now, but all that to say, I'm very grateful that we went through it because it changed us and it changed us in the best way. My friend, you're not rambling. You think to some people you're prophesying, <laughs> you're speaking into their lives. Uh, Chad, it's been such a privilege. I really mean that. Likewise. Love your heart. Um, we're going to do a couple of things. Before we do that, how can people get your book? Thank you so much. It's, it's pretty much sold like on the major Amazon and Barnes and Noble, Target and all that kind of stuff. But the easiest way, if you want to order bulk for your team, my name has a website, chadbeach.org. And um, I love saying the org, by the way. It's my favorite. 
Oh, you're a dot com guy. I'm an org guy. And uh, so you can go to our website and you, you, it's like so weird, right? We went org with our church and my website because we're just big org people. <laughs> Brilliant. We'll make sure everyone go and order the book, get one for your friend as well. Uh, we're going to do that. Chad, I'm, I'm going to ask you to pray for everybody that's watching. I, I don't know how the Holy Spirit does this, but through the digital, he, he just comes into our hearts and our homes. Is that okay? Great. Okay. God, we just, we thank you right now. We praise you. And Lord, it feels like a divine moment. Yeah. So we just pause our day to receive from you, Holy Spirit. We drink in your goodness. Mm. I pray that we would drink in your love, your encouragement, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Thank you right now, God, that you're refreshing us, filling us up. And we just, we surrender again, afresh and anew today. We say your will be done. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds that can understand your ways, your truths, and how you want us to operate in this time. We thank you for fresh faith, fresh wind of the spirit. In Jesus name, amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. And for more about Ray Johnston or the Global Thrive Conferences, or if you have any questions or comments, go to thriveconference.org. And we'll see you next time for the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. Podcast.